want to go to there. Snipe! Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, yes. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I'm not really here. Sleepy? I'm I'm not even sure I'm awake right now. I can't be held responsible for the things I say in this state. <laughs> so any uh, any racial slurs or, uh, I don't know, politically charged rants or anything, just anything that comes out, it's, it's not really gender me. comments. Any unfortunate uh, sexist remarks? Yes, mm-hmm. uh, just they're, they're not really me. They're they're zombie Simon. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, we are recording a little earlier than we usually do, but hopefully that means you guys are getting the podcast a little earlier. At the end of the podcast this week, we, we were able to talk with Miles McNutt of Cultural Learnings and, of course, the AV Club about Strike Back Shadow Warfare. There's a lot of fun, so our season spotlight will be. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the show, but before then, we talked with a bunch of you guys this week. So let's go to listener feedback. We heard from Mario, who says that we need more of Simon's Mickey Doyle laughing imitation. Loved it. So if you would oblige, <laughs> <laughs> I talked rain with Noel, Mo, Trina, Ka, maybe Trina, Ken, Ryan, and Andrew. More rain talk a little later in the show. Uh, Bruce says he's bored with the fall shows and we need to bring back uh, Game of Thrones. I feel, yeah, I still feel like the first half of the year has the second half of the year just destroyed, demolished. Yeah, that's especially glaring <laughs> this year. <laughs> it's really not even close or fair. Yeah, yep. Uh, we'll see if, you know, how much of that holds as we get to our end of the year discussions in December. But uh, let's see, Manuel says that uh, Homeland is a bit like William Baldwin. Uh, it's okay, but his older brother is far more relevant and a lot less annoying. I'm choosing to say uh, this is really filled with relevant, but I'm choosing to say that that is uh, Rubicon is the older brother in this situation. Many other people would say 24, but I feel like the spiritual predecessor to Homeland is Rubicon. Yes, I would agree with that. Although, of course, Rubicon never ended up having to do its thing over three seasons, so not really a fair comparison. But yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. We're not even going to talk about Homeland this week. I know a lot of people will be buzzing about the the twist, the bigger reveal, but you didn't watch it. I haven't had time to watch it yet. Too much other stuff. I didn't watch it, but I did read up on the twist and based even just based on the, the first episode of the season, which is all I had the patience for, there's no way that doesn't just like there's no way that works based on what we've already seen. It's a thing that happened now. So, anyways, I, I will I will give my thoughts next week once I've had a chance to catch up. Uh, okay. We talked a little good wife music with Beth and uh, some other people as well. Ken says that Scandal rivals the good wife for music use, and Lini agrees. And then we heard from Carl as well. He said, <laughs> "Kate and Simon, I would not really be interested in weekly Marvel light." 
trademark shows that uh, have to really cut back on production values of the movies. But I would, what I would love is for Marvel characters to show up on the rest of the ABC lineup. Who wouldn't love to see the Hulk on Dancing with the Stars, Captain America on America's Got Talent? It would all be about him and his various shield-based, you know, Vegas tricks and acts that he could do. And uh, he wants to see Thor on Grey's Anatomy as McNorsey. The possibilities are endless. I, I, I think any of those would be entertaining. Anything's better than more Agents of Shield, honestly. <laughs> uh, we, we're not, it's another show we're not talking about this week. Yeah, we don't really have anything new to say. We will as soon as we have something new to say, we will jump back in with Shield, assuming we're still watching it. Uh, but for for now, yeah, it's sort of we're at the same place with it that we were. But yeah, we're, we're waiting to have a week where we went. Hey guys, Agents of Shield was actually fantastic. <laughs> I, I I actually uh, I actually think Thor on Grey's Anatomy would be a particularly entertaining because I just want to see Thor interacting with with uh, Sandra O's character with Christina. I feel like that would just be a comedy gift. You you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? I, I, no, I I know I do, but I just I haven't watched Grey's Anatomy in like seven years. <laughs> Good times. Well, thank you so much for Car- uh, Carl for emailing us with uh, with your thoughts on Marvel. I just it just seems like a terrible idea to me. You're watering down your brand. You're 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 barraging audiences with Marvel products everywhere, such that the movies are no longer an event in the same way. It's just it seems like a surefire way to get the audience tired of your product. Well, and it it seems like any excitement that people have about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to start petering off unless the show gets better. So then by the time they end up launching another 3, 4, 7, 17, 300,000 shows, is anyone really going to care? Now, if these are more animated series in the way that Marvel has done in the past, then I think that's a little different. And uh, there's been some success with the straight-to-video or straight-to-DVD movies that I, especially the DC kind of characters have been involved with. So maybe that's something they could do. Um, but as far as live action goes, yeah, I think I, I might be interested in the, the Haley Atwell spinoff show. If they actually cast her in the lead and it is set in the time period. And otherwise I just, I, I don't need to see another Marvel show. Yeah, I, I I I agree. Of course, as we mentioned last week, Carl has been having a a giveaway for people who write reviews of some of his favorite TV podcasts, which we are thankful to be part of. And uh, we so we got a few reviews this week, and we heard from uh, in the U.S. store. We got a review from my Alec, four star rating, who. Loves how comfortable the hosts are. It's like getting updated on my favorites by friends in my living room. And apparently we are informative and fun. I, I did not. I, I'll I'll give myself one of those. I'll give myself informative and I'll give you fun. I, I, I can't remember the last time I was accused of being fun. <laughs> and in the Canadian store, we got a review from Cram the Wraith. Uh, and that was a five-star review. And the, apparently we have great comments, reviews, and theories. So we have not scared people off with our theories yet. We'll try to keep those coming. I I think we should provide more theories about shows that really don't need them. I think we just need to go crazier with our theories. Be a little more out there. Less accessible. do that. (laughs) We'll see. But thank you both of you guys for for listening last week and writing a review. Hopefully you're tuning back in 
and you're hearing us, thank you. But if not, uh, just sending it out into the ether, I guess. We very much appreciate any iTunes ratings or reviews that anyone wants to send our way. So, of course, you can find the M4A chaptered feed and the MP3 unchaptered feed in iTunes. And be like Alec and cram the wraith. Uh, crom, cram, uh, and, uh, and leave us a review. Yes, please do. We really appreciate it. Over at Sound Unsighted, it's still Horror Month. We have articles going up every single day. And, of course, also we have... Uh, we have lots of reviews happening uh, in the TV section. We have started to get Doctor Who month into gear for November. Very excited. It's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, plenty of TV coverage is found on site. So, of course, you can always check that out. But let's get right into our week in TV. And as ever, we're going to kick things off with the comedies. Motown Philly's back again. Doing a little East Coast swing. Boys to men going on. Not too hard, not too soft. Back in school, we used to dream about this every day. Could it really happen? Our dreams just fade away. Stop, 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 stop. Dum, 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 da, da. Dum, 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 da, da. Da, ya, 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 da. Da, 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 da. Yes! That was good. That's a, that's harmony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was terrible. Let's start again. Let's start it. Let's do it again. This week in comedy, we have Key and Peele, Always Sunny, The Gang Gets Quarantined, The League, The Bringer Show, Children's Hospital, My Friend Falcon, Parks and Rec, Gin It Up, and Eastbound and Down, Chapter 25. So that, that musical clip we heard at the top here, I know we're supposed to be starting with Key and Peele, but I got to mention, I, I think I've had that, uh, the little D solo in that stuck on my head for the past week, just randomly, or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, that that may have been the most memorable. I mean, just the the barbershop antics in general were probably my biggest takeaway of the episode. They sound good. I know it's awesome. <laughs> it's it's like they were. I have a feeling they were just kind of standing around the set doing that at some point. They're like, okay, this is a show. How, I don't know how we make it a show, but it's a show. Well, I kind of feel like this has been the season they reveal their like secret chops. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, well, who knows what we're gonna get next? But I really liked this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun, uh, not just for the barbershop, but also uh, just the revelation that they're all alcoholics uh, was, was revelation good. really well just the acceptance i guess by them that they're clearly alcoholics the, the bubble boy suit with the the cocktail pouch was amazing and frank's just insanity uh was was pretty great too i really enjoyed the episode and also i gotta give props to the makeup department because dennis looked terrible that was yes. particularly impressive Yes, he did. Yeah, I think I got my biggest laugh out of uh, out of the, just the very ending. Keep drinking, gotta be healthy. Uh, <laughs> but um, it, it does feel weird that seeing Frank writhe on the floor covered in uh, hand sanitizer in a diaper feels like something we've seen before. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but it's true. We I feel like we uh, have seen similar similar things in the past. Uh, but yeah, the the whole hair thing and ending in the house was. Yeah, that was creepy and effective as far as I was concerned, even if perhaps we've seen uh, Danny DeVito in Tidy Whities more than I would have expected. At least before you started watching. Oh, yeah, precisely, precisely. Um, let's go back to Key and Peele. We had, uh, we specifically wanted to mention this for one reason, which is the anger translators uh, just becoming plural, not just Luther this week. But in general, I thought this was a stronger episode than we've gotten in the past couple of weeks for Key and Peele. Yeah, uh, the, the anger translator stuff was great, giving them their own little universe to play around in. 
is is a good move. Uh, I think there, there's also a, a couple of sketches this week that went on exactly the right length, and in this case, I think was around 45 to 60 seconds. I'm not saying every Keen Peel sketch should be short or that length, but it was nice to see them develop an idea and then end it when it had run its natural course. Um, I think the, uh, the, the the usual suspects one in particular stood out for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I absolutely agree. There have been a couple sketches in the, in the past couple of episodes that I did feel like went on a little long. I didn't get tired of them necessarily, but I felt like they could be tighter. And so I, I noticed that as well this week. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next episode. I do think that they're doing some of the best sketch comedy on television. And uh, that I, we, we need to check out Birthday Boys on IFC because that's the only other sketch show going at the moment. So I'd like to have a more informed opinion on that. But right now, I'm I'm still really enjoying King and Peele. Yeah, I agree. And they brought in some, some I want to say it was the Mozart Requiem in there this week. Uh, it could have been uh, Handel or something like that. But they brought in the classical music again, which of course I love. So that helps that they're speaking directly to me with that. I wanted to mention the league because this was one of the strongest episodes of the season. I thought they really balanced the different characters well. And uh, Andre's stand up was delightfully terrible, as well as the various women buying into taco in just a bizarre, bizarre way. Um, And uh, it's been somewhat of an off season. So I wanted to mention when they when they did one that an episode that really worked for me. Same thing with my friend Falcon. I thought it was one of the stronger episodes. I really always enjoy whenever they go to the actor stuff and Ken Marino, just that ridiculous beard as Falcon always works for me. And I liked seeing David Wayne as well. Next week, we're going to have our two part finale for children's hospital. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. And I'm just, I'm happy with how much Marino we've been getting this season. Yeah. Just in everything. <laughs> More Marino is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Uh, speaking of actors we love to see, do we want to talk about uh, Tatiana Maslany on Parks and Rec? Yes, we do. Uh, unfortunately, NBC and their infinite wisdom has decided to put Parks on hiatus for a couple of weeks so that they can... Uh, what exactly is their plan? Well, basically, instead of having a two-hour comedy block on Thursdays, they've already canceled Welcome to the Family and uh, the Michael J. Fox show and, and Sean Saves the World. Neither of those have really gained any traction. And uh, and so instead they're, of having two hours of comedy, they're going to have an hour of The Voice, and then they're going to try to use the ratings from The Voice to get more viewers to tune in to the Michael J. Fox show and Sean Saves the World. They're trying to boost those numbers. And so we're not going to have Parks and Rec for the next couple of weeks. But then we're going to have two episodes a night. So on for the, two weeks, and then that's it for the year. And then that's in. For, that's it for the year. Well, but pretty much every every show goes into hiatus in December. So that's. I don't feel like. I feel like people are being a bit alarmist about this. And yes, I want to be watching Parks and Rec every week. Of course, I really love the show. However, I'm not concerned that they're gonna, you know, shorten the episode order or that anything's going to happen where I'm not going to end up having seen 22 episodes of the show by you know next may and so if i see an episode this week and an episode next week or two episodes a week after that and the week after that as well either way it's the same for me it's four episodes in the next month and a half and i'm good with that fair enough uh anyway tatiana maslani was here she was amazing obviously i mean i i think that they needed to get someone awesome enough for tom's reaction to be appropriately silly and I think that she was just the right call. I mean, I th- I think one of the biggest laughs I've ever gotten out of Aziz Ansari came this week with just his his delightful expression at just meeting her for the <laughs> first time. Just 
Yeah, yeah. That, I, I just that was me doing it. That was um, Tom face. Yeah, um, was just glorious. Well, and I feel like that's what it would feel like for a lot of people to just meet her because she seems awesome. She just seemed awesome yeah. at Comic Con in interviews. She seems really laid back and cool and fun. And so that having it, it's one of the things that Parks does every now and again, casting someone who most of the people watching NBC have no idea who she is. They haven't watched Orphan Black, probably. But those of us who do, that's a huge casting deal to us. And, yeah, for uh, sure. She, she's on this, you know, obscure, in the larger scale of things, uh, British and Canadian co-production. And, I mean, nobody watches that show. But for those of us who do, it was such a beautiful, perfect bit of casting. I want to see Mislani everywhere. And... I think if people haven't seen Orphan Black, they're kind of like, what's everybody making such a big deal about? But especially at the end of the episode, I thought she really played that scene uh, perfectly with uh, with with April and Tom at the hospital. And um, yeah, I, I just I think there's a lot of potential there. So I would like to see one of Tom's potential girlfriends come back because, of course, there was Natalie Morales. Uh, was it last season or the season before who never got followed up on? Tom gets the best love interests. And then they disappear. Well, I know that she's apparently in at least one of the four episodes that are going to be in that block. Mm-hmm. So we can we can look forward to that. And I know there's a Halloween episode coming up. Dread Valley Roberts and Princess Buttercup. Which was supposed to air on Halloween and now isn't, which is kind of a dick move. But, uh, uh, so yeah, I'm hoping that they keep her around a little bit more than they kept around. Yeah, Natalie Morales, for sure. That was clearly the most memorable part of the episode for us. But I think in general, Parks and Rec has been solid, if not great, all season. So, yeah, I I see why people are upset. That, it, that, yeah. it's, that it's going to be off the air. I mean, uh, as far as the rest of the episode goes, I, I really think they're they're leaning into the more cartoonish aspects of the Ron character more than I'd like. Um, but especially the whole thing about how he wouldn't get killed by a boar, which I know is a Game of Thrones reference. I get it, people, but come on. Well, and if he's independently wealthy, why does he work for the government? Who he hates. Who he hates. So I, you know, unless I, and he doesn't seem like a fight the power from within kind of person. So there's, there's some, you know, logical fallacies there, but anyways, it still was a fun episode. Shall we move on to Eastbound and Down? Yes, let's do that. Uh, not as good as last week. I don't think, uh, we did, we got another David Gordon Green directed episode, which isn't really notable because he directs half the episodes, but I feel like it is because I like about half his films. Um, the I, I do like the idea that uh, in this strange way, Kenny is kind of principled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this this idea that he now like he, he you know he he's I feel like we're gonna have him squaring off against Ken Marino just because he's a douche and for no other reason really. Yeah. But I did like I mean, there was a lot to like about this episode. Everything in Steve's speech to the kids well I, I should say Stephen Kenny's speech to the kids was just delightfully horrible and so so wrong um the blue con actually it was a good week for Stephen general the the frightening blue contacts oh, oh man God. that's gonna haunt my nightmares yeah definitely definitely um th- when i was listening to hey watch this with paul and david which of course has friends of the show paul gobel and david Bax as the the host they were talking about eastbound and down this past week and David is theorizing that we're going to that there's an undercurrent of racial tension that is going to come to a head by the end of the season with the Ken Marino character. And I'm curious 
what you think of that because uh, I was since listening to that I was watching this episode thinking about it and we get all the the Mexican day laborer comments it doesn't matter that the the workers aren't Mexican we get those from from Kenny we get I, I do like maybe it's just I'm seeing that because it was on my you know it was in my head thanks to David's comments I'm curious what you think I mean, the racial stuff has always been on the show. There was, I mean, season two was almost entirely set in Mexico, if I recall correctly. But, I mean, certainly with the Ken Marino character and his rage at his, his seemingly anonymous rage at his former coworker and all this other stuff, it certainly seems like we're going to get some more ugly material <laughs> for very long. But, I mean, that's also just eastbound and down for you, so it's hard to say. Yeah, I do. Th I do agree. We're coming to a, we're going to come to a fight or a conflict, a confrontation between the uh, Camarino character and Kenny. And uh, I, I feel like it's going to be April related that he's going to try to take a pass at April and uh, and we'll see what happens from there. I don't know. Maybe um, I was happy to see t uh, Tim Heidecker get a little bit more to do this mm -hmm. week. It's Nice to see. It's actually nice to see him act. It's not often I, I, I get to see that. I get to see it about once a year, and he's good at it. It's, I, I, and I don't think about Tim and Eric when I'm watching him as that character, so that's always a good sign. Yeah, that, that cold open worked really well for me, and the whole the whole uh, parent like baby parent stuff in that oh, cold open was painful in just the right way, very successful. I'm sure that's exactly what they're going for. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I liked this episode not as much as earlier in the season, but... Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good episode. What wins your week in comedy? I'll give it to uh, Maslani. Maslani, Maslani. I'll give it to Parks. <laughs> yeah, it's down to Parks and Always Sunny for me. Oh man, I think. Do it, do it. I think I got. I think I gotta give it to Always Sunny just because it's been stuck in my head all week. But like, it's a, it's a nose finish, you know, by a nose. Uh, because I did really love having uh, Maslani on my TV again on uh, Parks and Rec, and just uh, just like I had a, you know, like all of her scenes, I had a silly smile on my face. Some people just should be on my television. I'll I'll give it to Always Sunny with a very honorable mention to Parks and Rec. Next up will be our week in genre and reality. This week we're combining genre and reality into one category just because there's not enough individually uh, to sustain two categories. For reality, just The Amazing Race, Beards in the Wind was fun. I liked the COD challenge. Uh, it was ridiculous. And just having the episode really take place between about 11 o'clock at night and 2 in the morning but they're in the Arctic Circle, so it's bright daylight out was appropriately sort of weird and disorienting. And watching them deal with... They must be exhausted. Absolutely exhausted. Because 
they just get off a plane at 11 o'clock at night and continue on through the middle of the night and now they're continuing to race and so I can't imagine how tired they must be but uh, I thought it was a pretty good challenge and the the fish heads thing ending with the the fish head song too was a nice little touch and I look forward to you catching up with this episode here's a bit of trivia for you you remember the music video for fish heads mm-hmm. you know who directed that no Bill Paxton really interesting really that's your trivia for the week. Very nice. Also, in reality, The Voice has been having their battle rounds, and and uh, they've been pretty solid. They've been pretty good. And I think that the pool this this season is is uh, more consistent, and that help that makes me hope that maybe this means we won't have such a clearly manufactured win as we have the past two seasons for Cassidy Pope and then sixteen year old girl. That I, whose name I don't remember. I was very surprised to see Juhi not get picked up by CeeLo, but uh, she got stolen for Team Adam. She's the one who feels like the most likely breakout to me, but we'll see if she can take notes. Anyways, uh, I, I'm still very much enjoying Juhi and some of the other singers, so we'll see what happens with the voice. And in genre this week, of course, we had The Walking Dead infected, and you can find out my thoughts about it in general. I... I'm the one who's on board with this season. Uh, it was a contentious episode. So take a listen to that. Uh, Ricky, of course, joined me for that, as well as Zach Hanlon from the AV Club. That should already be in your podcast feed, but you could also find it up at Sound On Sight. Did you even watch Infected? Oh, can, can I ask a question first? How many people watch The Walking Dead again? Like 16 million people? Millions and millions, yes. Millions and millions. I have a message for you all. You can stop. You don't. Ha- you're not obligated to keep watching. I know that at least half of you are secretly annoyed. You can just stop. I stopped. It was beautiful on Sunday night. I had other things to watch, and there was The Walking Dead, and I just didn't watch it. It was so nice. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, and I want to hear from people who actually are liking The Walking Dead this season, though, because I am, which is weird. It's a very weird dynamic on the on the Walking Dead podcast to have Ricky not liking the show and me liking it, but uh, that's for another podcast. I wanted to preview Grimm Season 3 briefly because I've seen the first two episodes, and of course it's coming back this Friday, and I think they handled the, the whole uh, zombie outbreak sort of thing in, in Seattle pretty well, and the again, the characterizations work well, the action works pretty well, and I appreciate the priorities of this show. So uh, we'll see where things go. The first two episodes are very serialized. We have a nice, fun title card at the end of the first episode, so don't be surprised when things are left hanging. But uh, I think if you liked last season's finale, you will, you will very much like this premiere. Did you check out the rain pilot? I know you were on the fence. Uh, no, no. I uh, There are ads for that everywhere in this fair city. And I, and I, I thought about watching them, and then I just saw the ads and I was like, no, I'm not going to help them out on this one. How do you feel about the Lumineers? Uh... Then that was the correct answer. It, it, the way that you feel about the Lumineers will determine a big part of whether you liked this episode, I think, or this show based on the pilot, at least. I thought that actually the soundtrack was one of the strongest elements. I thought it worked. I liked it. I'm not very familiar with all these different uh, groups. I've never really listened to the, any of them. But in, the, in this context, they work for me. What doesn't work for me is the terrible writing, the unfortunate, uh, semi-unfortunate casting, the decision to have all of our main cast speak with an English accent, even though this is set in France 
and four of our main characters, not even counting Mary Queen of Scots, because she grew up in France, so her accent might be French, but the four Scottish girls all have English accents as well, and they're about to be fighting the English. So you have French and and Scottish people talking with English accents. What are the English going to sound like, and how are we going to distinguish them? It's just such a stupid choice. <laughs> And are these British actors or American actors? A combination, I believe. Um, but just the notion that, I mean, because French and Scottish accents are considered pleasant, attractive accents to most Americans. How, I don't know about Canadians, but Americans tend to love Scottish and French accents. So this, I don't get it. I just don't, I don't get it. Yeah, you would think that the whole Scottish accent thing would play into the CW's plan to infect us all with their biceps. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The 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 whole uh, very clearly telegraphed love triangle that they're going for it doesn't really work. Uh, Sexy Nostradamus is, is wasted. I'm just calling him Sexy Nostradamus because it seems like that's the purpose of his character, much like Sexy Dracula will be starting this, this Friday. I've already given my thoughts about that in our fall preview. I just, I don't. I don't get what people are seeing in this. I know for some people, it's absolutely a show they're avoiding. I'm with you guys. For the, some people, it's a show they love. And um, I'm glad you enjoyed the pilot. I just don't see anything interesting coming, despite some good performances. I like the lead. I like some of the other people. But the writing, just I can't, I can't get over. I can't get over how CWE it is. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the actual genre or reality show you've seen this week, which is American Horror Stories Coven uh, Boy Parts. What did you think? Yay. Did it follow on well from the premiere? I think it did. Uh, it's not. It hasn't taken the quantum leap that I'm sort of hoping it's going to make uh, so that it can be as good as the best bits of last season, some of which really was spectacular. Uh, but I think it does some good work. I like that we already have Evan Peters back albeit in Franken-boyfriend form. <laughs> I was sort of right about that, yeah. by the way. Sort of right, although they haven't gotten to actual bone town yet. Did I just say that? Ugh. Yeah. God, I'm tired. Classy. Anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. I I like that they, that they made the Stevie Nicks-Lily Rabe connection explicit late in the episode, because partway through I thought, oh yeah, she does look a lot like Stevie Nicks. And then we got that. I, I like that we already have a quasi love triangle between three people whose states of mortality are com are rather are e individually different from each other. Uh, so that's impressive. Um, I also like that it it's, doesn't seem like a a big deal, but I like that we we have Kathy Bates back in the present, and she's not some kind of evil mastermind. She's just confused and just <laughs> just kind of a regular person who did terrible, terrible things. Well, I love that I was a woman of my time. Bullshit. Yes, that sequence. was my favorite exchange of the episode. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> so let's not pretend that horrible, horrible historical figures are actually somehow okay. Uh, Dracula. Anyways, um, the there's a lot to like in this episode. I think it's still a really fun show. I, again, I, maybe it's because my tolerance has been so raised by the efforts through the efforts of yourself. And of course, our, our friend of the show, Steve Procopi, uh, more on that next week. Uh, but my, my, I keep waiting to be scared and it hasn't happened once on American Horror Story. I was a little scared on walking dead this week, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I don't need to be, I'm t perfectly fine not being scared, but <laughs> yeah, I was told this was a horror show and, that hasn't really happened yet. Oh, uh, snap. But uh, I do really like a lot of what I'm seeing. I particularly like this 
I I don't know. Again, the, much like the Madame Lollery thing, even more than the Madame Lollery thing, this like the incorporation of Tituba as an actual witch or voodoo person, like that just feels like such a clear stretch that I'm I'm having trouble buying into. I was like, oh, come, everybody knows Tituba wasn't anything, and so I don't. Is that? I'm sure that that's just me, right? It's just you, yeah. Yeah. I need to no, just, like, nobody cares about historicity on this show. Nobody. Yeah, but it just seems like that's, like, that'd be like Harry Houdini was really magic. No, he wasn't. Come on. It's just, like, you know. like. <laughs> Don't keep saying this. You're going to give the networks ideas for more shows. Oh, that's true. You, you just gave I, them sexy Houdini. I hope you're happy. I'm pretty sure there already is a sexy Houdini in the works, now that I say that. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, like, at least uh, there might actually be two sexy Houdini crime fighters shows in the works anyways um does uh, either of them have sexy mcgill student who punched him in the stomach and killed him as a supporting character i don't think so no i don't okay, i don't think so but uh with this episode i do like just having 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 marie laveau randomly working uh owning a salon and then the 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 i guess her boyfriend the this the head sewed on somehow or like he's become the minotaur or whatever that was that was odd and and fun at the end of the episode and even just again the the location shooting i guess they couldn't get the rights to or, or the permissions to actually shoot outside the lollery house or mansion in um in in new orleans but i did poke around on on google maps they they filmed two houses down <laughs> That's so, awesome. That's awesome, right? So that redstone how you know building on the left of yeah. of where is directly next to the actual lottery uh house and I just sort of loved that. So uh I'm really enjoying the specificity of of the location and that they're really embracing that has has been a big success for me. As for Lily Rabe, I'm glad to see her. Glad to see Evan Peters, but particularly I'm enjoying Lily Rabe already. And uh, like you said, I'm glad they didn't stretch that out. Yeah. And I also want to mention uh, Gabory Sidibe again, because I feel Love like her. everything with her in the, in, in the fried chicken shack or whatever, I felt like was a direct refutation of Precious. Mm-hmm. Like it, had, it had to be deliberate. There's no way it wasn't. <laughs> I still haven't seen Precious. You don't need to. It's awful. Anyways, uh, I I'm also loving that character. She's just so much fun, and um, yeah, we'll see what comes next. I don't really care about Sarah Paulson's baby issues, though. That was kind of creepy. Um, I, I kind of wish they would just drop that, but I want to see more with uh, Laveau and Lalaurie and Jessica Lang being crazy and the girls being awesome. Yes, and I, I have to say, as much as I don't care about Emma Roberts, I think she's been really well cast. Yeah, she's doing well, and the, this this is a good role uh, for her, and she she's she's pulling things together in, in a nice way. I, I also specifically liked that line about, uh, "Are we selling our souls to Satan?" Because <laughs> <Or, laughs> I'm not that down happening? with that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Actually, there there were two invocations of Satan in this episode, which makes you think that he's going to have to show up at some point, or she. Mm-hmm. We'll and see. I'm. I'm I'm hoping for Ian McShane. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay, okay. That could happen. Uh so obviously you watched one show this week. Uh and it that, wins. And it wins. Uh I'm gonna give Hmm. I'm gonna give our week in genre and reality to the Walking Dead. Wow. That's right, that just happened. I liked the episode. I thought it was good. And uh <sighs> 
Anyways, honorable mention to either the Grim premiere, which is a lot of fun, or Coven, which is also a lot of fun. I guess Coven beats Grim, but uh, yeah, there's uh, there's some good genre happening right now. Let's move on to our week in drama. drama we have scandal mrs smith goes to washington parenthood in dreams begin responsibilities and masters of sex thank you for coming and the good wife outside the bubble we pared down the dramas this this week because there were a lot of them we didn't have more to say about all i have to say about scandal this week is i really enjoy cynthia stevenson and i wish she got cast in more things she's a lot of fun well i shouldn't say fun she she's very effective in her role as the distraught mother and uh suicide bomber person this week i would like i would very much like to see her show up on the good wife for an extended arc yeah no one gets an extended arc on the good wife anymore recurring arc i'll take that but she i feel like she doesn't pop up enough on my tv uh that's entirely plausible yes Anyways, let's move on to Parenthood. And I, I I believe my my only real comment about Parenthood this week is I loved how even more so than usual, it was just so low stakes this week mm-hmm. with like some minor exceptions. I you know, every every character was facing these minor obstacles. Even uh Victor in his reading comprehension, like it's a problem, but it's not one that you think they're gonna struggle with for more than another six or seven episodes, really. He'll you know, they'll keep working on it. He'll be fine. And I actually, I really like the dynamic of with Craig T. Nelson and the kids. Uh, that stuff is really great. But for the most part, yeah, it's just really small, believable, everyday problems that people are having to deal with. And it's just, it's, it's such a relaxing show sometimes. Yeah. And it's not that these are, for me at least, it's not that these are low stakes problems. It's that they're very real problems. These are high stakes to these people. And to yeah. most people, these are the kinds of problems that are significant issues in actual people's lives. Unlike Scandal, unlike Masters of Sex, and unlike most of what we're seeing right now on The Good Wife, my kid may have to repeat a grade and then be in the same grade as his younger sister, who's kind of being a pain in the ass. That's that's a traumatic thing for a kid. And uh, and so I think the way that they're focusing on these instead of, you know, especially that last season, after having the cancer scare last season, it's important to pare things down to a, a, not as heightened of a level this season. And it's working for me. As soon as Victor was not engaging with the, the novel, I was like, they just got to find the right book. If they find the right book, he will engage and start, self-motivating to read at least that's based on my personal experience with kids and so having him having the right book be a car how-to manual or whatever that totally works for me i also really like that dynamic we gotta talk about Joni mitchell and (laughs) those scenes with crosby i love when they let crosby and adam actually be like sort of brothers and partners and we get a bunch of that this week 
prose even. Uh, yeah, that stuff was all great. And I, I really, I think they did a really nice job with the little friend zoning plot, mm-hmm. which I'm hoping they don't make too big a deal out of. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought the, the performances from both parties were believable and not too heightened at all. I love and... that the girl just like, you think she's all like deep about music and stuff. And then no, it's just a song on a, on a, from a movie and her mom likes it. So she likes it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That's that, that's that's the the sort of like little subversion of expectation that it happens in in that situation all the time. Yeah, that's what most freshmen are like. It's so deep, man. It's it's from Hope Floats or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I, I there's a lot that I really enjoyed about this episode. Specifically, also I got to mention Mr. Ray. That whole stuff with Adam and Mr. Ray was hilarious and delightful, and I hope we see that character again. Briefly, yes. but again. Yeah, I'm I'm confused as to where this label producer plotline thing is going, but we'll see. Yeah, and then, oh, I did think of one other thing I have to mention. Uh, it was getting mega dusty when Max hands over his 20. Be- yes. Because he managed to shut up for an hour. Uh, it got mega dusty for me, and uh, yeah. And I'm sure for other people that moment was the, the Sarah and, and Amber fight but for me it was all about max this week yeah not a lot of getting dusty this week on other shows so i think parenthood probably takes that prize pretty easily yeah shall we move on to masters of sex thank you for coming yeah let's do that uh you know it's because of the title i was kind of expecting a more like quirky fun episode which this wasn't at all no uh so uh but i did think it was really good i thought it was better than last week actually and i it's it's really interesting to watch a new drama, especially a, a good one, and see what sort of dramatic devices they're going to use and not use. And I think that the way that the show has incorporated flashbacks has been mostly good, which is uh, odd to see. But um, I really like the addition of Anne Dowd, who I don't know if you saw Compliance. No, I don't need that in my brain. Yeah, fair enough. But she was so amazing in Compliance. Yeah. And it took me a little while to figure out where I'd seen her before. And uh, she's good here, although it's a way, way more low-key role. And I don't know about you, but for the first half of the episode, I was under one impression. And then by the end of the episode, that made it clear that I was wrong. Like, I thought that Masters is upset with his mother because she wasn't strong enough in combating her own abuse in in her marriage to her father. Well, I'm sure I, that was there, too. Right, but that doesn't seem to be what he's angry about. <laughs> No, he's he's angry that he was abused by his father, physically and emotionally abused by his father, and she didn't yes. do anything. Yeah. Yes, and th- that, but that's not the impression I was like. Did you that? That's not where my head was in the first part of the episode, though. Oh yeah, I I as soon as we see him react to the the kid at the hospital, uh, that it clicked in for me. I'm actually I'm on the fence about that flashback. If she didn't turn up the radio. That flashback would have been too on the nose for me, but because she turns up the radio, it connects it to the sleepwalking at the beginning of the episode, and so I'm sort of okay with it, but I didn't need a button on that. I got everything we needed from that conversation with Masters. There was a bit... Uh, it was, this episode wasn't as, as strong for me. As much as I enjoyed Anne Dowd, and as much as I like... I, I really like what they're doing with Libby. I like that progression. It's been much more interesting than where it looked like she was going. But... Some of the scoring is just sort of, and then the strings swell while we talk about parental abuse and, and, and some of this, 
some of the writing wasn't on point enough for me. I, I could have had a lot of those scenes pared down just a little bit. Um, but I still am really liking the show and I feel like we got to talk about how creepy and understandable, but creepy that last scene is. And, uh, that he's, you know, calling in her ex to get intimate details about her sexual proclivities is okay. Searching out to, to, to <laughs> search, finding out that, that her ex was one of the people and then just not being able to stop himself from figuring out who it was. I get that more. It's not okay, but I get it more. I don't know. Then calling him back. The calling him back and recording it so you can replay and create sexual fantasies about your partner. It's totally creepy. Yep. It's totally creepy. And I, I, that's my favorite thing about the show right now is that it lets masters be a creep and mm. still be a really good doctor. I think they're doing, they're doing the same thing with Ethan, who... I mean, we may get some progress with him, although many of his scenes are very hard to watch this week. Um, but, you know, he's still, you know, kind of a not a great person, but still a really good doctor. You know, that they're, that's uh, that's okay to do that. And they go even further with Masters, where I think he's he can even be uh, an exceptional person. I think the, the way he handles his patient this week is is compassionate and fair and you know, everything you would want from a doctor, including, you know, breaking or bending the rules when they don't make sense. But uh, then they also have him just be, yes, a total, total, total creep. Yeah. I think the only issue I have with with Ethan, the way they're handling that character, because I do think it's very interesting, is that I think they are downplaying too much his physical abuse or in the pilot, the fact that he actually hits her, because they're not—they're sh- not showing that in in the previously ons. They're showing—they're not showing him calling her a whore. They're not showing him hitting her. They're showing him saying, "What kind of woman are you?" Kind of and and leaving it at that. And and so I think they're trying to keep him too sympathetic. I don't think they've done that at all. I mean, okay, the punch isn't in the previously on. That's an editing choice. Whatever. I'm not gonna. That's it's not really I don't really consider that part of the show. It's part of the package. But I I think they've done the right thing with Ginny where she just she shuts him out 100 percent of the time, period. No questions asked. It's over. Boop. And that's as long as they're doing that. I don't think they're compromising. Except I feel like the show wants you to be rooting for them to get back together, even though that's not what she's doing. But just the way that they are constructing those scenes and the way they're holding on him, looking all puppy dog. I feel like that's the show trying to manipulate viewers to make it, to make you feel sorry for him. I don't think that's true. I think that every, I think one thing that was really interesting about this episode to me was that it it was probably the first one that that's coming almost almost exclusively from a male point of view. Mm-hmm. Where you know we're we're getting especially that ending lays that on really thick, but you know we're mostly getting William Masters and his thoughts about his mother, and we're getting Ethan and his thoughts on the on the relationship, and then uh, Ginny's ex and his many thoughts. Um, and I, I feel like if we're getting that, it's not because the show thinks that we should think they should get back together or anything. It's just it's what he wants, and we're getting that okay. sub, that sort of subjective view. I don't think that. I don't think anyone involved in the making of the show thinks that Ethan should get what he wants or that they think we should think he should get what he wants. Now, what did you, how did you read that ending, that, that final shot? Do you read that as a contrast, like contrasting what they're saying with her, with that visual? Do you read that as 
the random person walking down the street who looks normal or who looks like a you know somebody you wouldn't even notice is I mean in TV that means Lizzie Kaplan in real life that's not Lizzie Kaplan um, yes. uh, is could be magic and you just don't know how do you read that I read that that seems to be a, a very loaded moment for people I personally read that as again this is the world of men estranged from the world of everything else. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's these men who don't really know how to process the fact that this is a woman who, yes, she has this one aspect wherein she is maybe ahead of the curve compared, like, you know, on, in terms of her, uh, in terms of her outlook and her attitudes, her behaviors, et cetera. But beyond that, she's just a person. She's a regular person with problems and children and a life to and a job to think about, but they're not thinking about any of that. They're stuck on the magic, and I don't know. To me, it's just about men and their inability to 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 conceive of a person as a whole person and not just a, as as a thing carrying around this one attribute they consider to be magical. Interesting. Yeah, I think there. I think there's some some very interesting discussion going on about gender roles, especially in this time period, but also now uh, in the in the show, and that's why I continue to really enjoy it. But yeah, there were some elements this week that I'm a little iffy on. And apparently Allison Janney's coming up, if not next week, then the week after. And next she's going to be yeah. pretty great, is what we keep hearing. So I always love Allison Janney when she's not on Lost. Well, well, hold, well hold on. What did you think of, of that last scene? What was your take? I, it was a very, like you, like you say, it's a very male-centric episode, uh, or point of view-wise, at least. Especially the way that that ends. And... Uh, I agree with with your read of it. I also was noting very much how the way that Ethan's treating all of the women around him. And he uh, acknowledges, of course, that, that he was treating that poor girl horribly at the end, even if she doesn't have the self-worth to, to see it herself. But they're just so obsessed with she does stuff in bed that they that they just are not val he's not masters is not valuing his wife and uh, ethan is not valuing any of the women that are around because he just can't deal with how hot this chick is um, and yes she's an amazing woman as well so i think it's i think it's both i think it's both yes she's amazing and you would and and other people just don't even realize it but it's also a critique of that at the same time mm -hmm. so it's i think it's tricky and I like Tricky. Yes, Tricky is good. And uh, uh, one more thing about Ethan. I, th I think that they're doing something interesting with him where they're. I feel like they're kind of doing what you... I mean, it's too early to know, but I kind of feel like what they're going for is sort of what you always complain they don't do with Don Draper, which is I feel like they want him to actually change. That would be nice. And, and to actually learn. Like, it feels like he's developing some self-knowledge mm -hmm. and actually acknowledges some things for the first time this week and maybe will actually evolve. Like I don't, this doesn't seem to be a show that's going to be as interested in stasis as Mad Men. So I'll be interested to chart that as well. Yes, we'll see. And I still need to have, for me to be okay with Ethan, I have to have some addressing of the fact that he hit a woman or he hit anyone, but the fact that he hit somebody because she rejected him romantically, uh, that's got to come back and be addressed. And the show can't throw that out there in the pilot and then ask us to not be thinking about it. As far what as what counts concerned. as addressing it, by the way, 
I don't know if if we if we're supposed to be seeing him growing and realizing the error of his ways. I need to see him. I I need to see some sense that has he done this before? Will he do this again? Because if I see somebody hit hits hit somebody else, particularly hit a, hit a man, hit a woman, I'm assuming that they are either an abuser from an abusive relationship or or a household, and that if they've done it once, they will probably do it again. And so. Especially with the way that this show, this episode looks at abuse, like parental abuse, to just throw that out there as a thing that happened once is, I, I need to know, is that the first time he ever hit someone? Is that not the first time? Would he do mm-hmm. it again? Because right now I'm assuming he would, but I think the show wants us to think maybe he that he wouldn't. And that's a problem for me. Okay. Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Let's move on to The Good Wife outside the bubble. And I'm just... Uh, I guess between, it's, for me it's between Parenthood and The Good Wife, but, oh man, I'm really loving what The Good Wife is doing this week for drama. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's on fire. I think we, it's, it's, it's been established. It's having a really good early run of, of season. Can I get your theory as to what that woman is doing in Will's, op- in Will's office? Oh, I have no, I, th- I have no idea. No, apparently we find out next week, but I, okay. I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, lots of good stuff this week. I wasn't expecting to see Gary Cole, and although it was a very logical choice, and every every bit of that storyline was just sweet and delightful. I was, I, delightful. I was really worried that they were going to. I was actually like really invested in whether or not they were going to be together, and I was worried they wouldn't. And then, oh, so nice when he, when she shows up, looking fine, might I add. She looked damn good, and I'm glad that uh, this was so Diane for her to be wearing just a classic navy suit. With a with a pretty sweet brooch too, I liked it. She was rocking it. Yep, it totally worked. Uh, everything else, I mean, there's so much going on on this show. As always, the actual case of the week was, I, I thought, a, a really nice touch. That in the midst of all this chaos, oh hey, just uh, just the, the the paralegal trying to get their attention was a really nice touch. Yeah, I like that opening point of view shot. Yeah. Uh, whenever that, whenever they go to the underlings, which I feel like happens about once a season, it's usually a, a good thing. I'm surprised we haven't. Uh, there was an NSA mention this this week, which was I feel like is foreshadowing for more stuff to come later. But I'm surprised we haven't come back to them yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming they're just going to kind of pop up again when they're going to become more relevant. But uh, we'll see. I don't think we're going to cut to them listening. We might cut to like a phone or something where it's like, ooh, don't forget. I don't I think like, we're going to see those actors, though. I like the idea of Zach Woods and his NSA cronies as, like, this Greek chorus just waiting to, yeah, waiting to chime, chime in. in every now and again. Okay. Um, I, I think it's a good move to not have uh, anything going on with the Melissa George arc or with the kids this week. Uh, focuses in a bit more on Lockhart Gardner, and I think that's wise. I liked having Jackie back, however, briefly. Um, and, uh, Jackie's always just sort of fun, but this is the right dose of her, I think. Yeah. And just Alan Cumming having to go back and apologize and grovel was just too good in her like senior citizens exercise class or whatever Mm -hmm. that was. Yeah. Was, uh, was a nice touch. That moment between Will and Alicia, I I thought was really nice and important. And, uh, I just, Man, I I would be second guessing myself all over the place if I was Alicia, based on how these people that she's going to start her firm with are behaving. Do you want to start a firm with these people? Yeah, yeah, especially Carrie and not Carrie. Yeah, 
just uh she, you know she's been saying for weeks we need to leave this is morally unsound this is this is a b and c we need to go and they're not listening to her and if she's the boss and they're not listening to her that's a problem yeah that's that's a problem and just their general i don't know she, she's i i I'll, I'll be curious to see how much they address this but the whole reason that they wanted to leave in the first place was because it's not necessarily the best place to work and it doesn't seem like they're fostering a better work environment elsewhere yeah exactly um I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Of course, everything's coming to a head next week. And that final, that final moment with Diane was amazing. Just watching her decision, watching her make her decision. I thought she was going to come in and be like, I was like, it's either going to go one of two ways. Either Diane has figured out that Alicia has been offered her job or Diane has figured out what's actually going on. And I feel like the one is way more satisfying than the other. Which way? They, and then they absolutely went the right way. Absolutely, yeah. Everything. Oh, I'm already anxious for next week. I feel like that's that's got the spotlight locked up unless they screw it up. And I don't think they will. Also, I really like the musical choices this week. Uh, they just, it's so fun. The show's so fun. We haven't even mentioned, by the way, Elsbeth. Oh yes, yeah. As soon as they said, "Who are we going to get to represent us?" I thought, "Oh shit." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of her, which I think is why I forgot, but she was still pretty great. And I, I still enjoy watching the show introduce her to new people who she hasn't yes. actually talked to yet. And uh, her scene with David Lee was fabulous. Uh, where was like, obviously wants to get rid of her. And then she says exactly what he just said. And now, then he's on board. That's great. And then her first meeting, Kalinda, was also appropriately entertaining. Uh, she, she was a little too over the top quirky for me in her first couple of moments that the it didn't feel quite balanced a little mm -hmm. it felt like she was intentionally being broad in a way that that uh, Carrie Preston has managed to keep that character very specific but those doubts sort of went away for me after the over the course of that first scene yeah as soon as she actually starts getting to the business of being kick-ass at her job that those concerns usually go away absolutely and uh, glad to have her back this season next week is is going to be inferno so oh man what wins your week in drama i guess it's probably pretty easy for you uh it's i'm torn between good wife and masters of sex honestly because i mean masters of sex wasn't perfect but it did have it had the most for me to think about afterwards which makes me want to give it to that but the good wife was more fun to watch so i don't know i'm torn well, it's definitely a good wife for me. It was okay. good wife for Parenthood, but Parenthood, Parenthood has had more eventful episodes, so I'm giving it to the good wife. All right. And I'll... Well, if you're giving it to the good wife, I'll give it to Masters of Sex. Fair enough. Uh, a few show notes before we go to our season spotlight with Miles McNutt of Cultural Learnings and the AV Club. Our our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this episode. Let us know what you thought of each of these episodes and what you're looking forward to in the coming week. Of course, you can also find us up in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love any iTunes ratings or reviews that you would like to give us. It does help the show. Um, also, you can email us the televerse at gmail.com you can follow us on facebook i'll try to be more active there guys i promise uh and if you like us on facebook that will allow you to follow all the reviews and various shenanigans going on at sound on site tv and of course we're both up on twitter i'm at the televerse and you are at sucker howl and sir what is our question of the week well you know since we went on about it earlier i'm curious as to whether or not people watch parks and rec if they'd seen tatiana Maslany before and if not 
if that's going to get them to watch Orphan Black, because they should. You should. Uh, yeah. Also, watch Orphan Black. <laughs> yeah, it's not us... really two points. I just felt like saying it twice. Uh, let us know uh, what, yeah, what your relationship is with Mazlani, Tatiana Mazlani, and uh, yeah, if you're going to check out Orphan Black now, because we think you should clearly, as we talked about all the first half of this year. Yes. So now we'll take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Miles Wignot to talk Strike Back Shadow Warfare, the finale and the season as a whole. Let's have some fun, he said. Let's get away from it all, he said, yeah. Brilliant. Michael, you want to go for a fucking walk? Mate, the Camino del Santiago is not a walk. It's a spiritual pilgrimage, I told you that. Hey, you boys, you know that uh, California's a hell mistake, right? Um, no, sir, we weren't aware of that. I was. Really? And you got traffic violations in six other states from here to Alaska. Only six. Are you running from something? Uh, we're just on holiday, sir. Vacation. Vacation. It means vacation. License and registration. Does that belong to you? Televerse, and this week we're skipping the DVD shelf because we gotta talk Strike Back, uh, Shadow Warfare, and here to help us with that from Cultural Learnings and the AV Club is Miles McNutt. Miles, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So Strike Back is uh, one of the shows you cover over at the AV Club. It's a show that anybody who's listened to the podcast over the past few weeks uh, and months knows that we've really enjoyed uh but we hadn't seen any of the show until the season premiere. What's been your relationship with the show, and how does this season, Shadow Warfare, uh, connect with the other seasons of the past? What are we missing and, and that you know about from seeing all the other seasons, and d does that affect your appreciation of this season? I would say you're missing nothing and everything at the same time. That is and awesome. I say that it's a, it's a weird statement, but I think it's true because on the one hand, I would say like those first two Cinemax seasons, and I actually haven't seen the UK original um, that Cinemax starts airing uh, this coming Friday. But what I think is so interesting for me about Strike Back and about that process is 
you did miss a lot of action. You missed a lot of kind of like subtle character building, the introduction of characters, then payoff later on, sort of long-term arcs that get strung through. But really, you didn't miss that much. Like, really, the amount of like season-to-season accumulation of character development in Strike Back is actually very limited. And writing about the show, you really get that sense of you have a season arc. That season arc has a point. It has a theme. It has the character development. And then it's mostly going to be entirely forgotten the time the next season starts. And I think we find that a weird mode of television in terms of normally like characters develop like over the course of seasons. Seriality is such sort of David Gurr in television production. But it's sort of like for you guys to jump in on the third season, I feel like you've got a pretty concentrated arc. You've got a story. You've got to learn about the characters. And nothing, I don't think, precluded you from enjoying that based on having not seen the previous seasons. But I think you would enjoy the previous seasons, given that they're very much in the same vein of exciting action, simple but effective character development, and a show that just sort of enjoys its pulpiness and has moments that really transcend that expectation. Interesting. When you said nothing and everything, that I feel like that's the perfect kind of show to jump in on. So if you can, you know, just kind of start at at a season premiere and you won't be missing anything but you'll also be missing so much i think that's that's a great way to tell the story and uh, a lot of fun so i'm I'm glad we jumped in what did you think of this finale that aired this past friday Um, i thought it was really good um i have issues with how happy it ended i think that felt like a bit of a step too far i think i've I've seen some people refer to it as like a john hughes homage like it was a weird it was a weird way to end the season that was so complicated and chaotic and sort of, you know, a lot of collateral damage. And it just seemed like they reached a conclusion that was basically along the lines of, oh, look, everyone's happy. Let's continue to watch these adventures in the future, which I'm happy about because I'm happy to continue to watch their adventures. But it felt like they were so concerned about wanting that fresh start in a projected for a season on Cinemax that they sort of reset the deck a little bit too hastily and kind of created that sort of sense of things. But that might be something I'm reading into it from seeing how they've ended previous seasons by comparison. So I'm not sure how you guys responded to that just jumping in. That's a good question. Simon, what did you think? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I've really, really enjoyed the season of Strike Back, but I did not care for the finale uh, for a few reasons. The The happiness... Thing. I mean, it's that's just a, sort of the tip of the iceberg. I feel like they made a, a, a very conscious decision, apparently, to not pay off a lot of the sort of darker, sort of more poignant moments that have cropped up over the course of the season, which I think is really too bad. The, the, there's a lot they could have done, and instead they went for this sort of Team America meets Top Gun vibe over those last five minutes, especially the scoring, which I thought was just insanely corny which you know if, if they if they want to go that route that's fine but i i didn't it, it felt like a different show yeah in a strange way there were other elements of the finale i wasn't so crazy about but uh up up until then i'd, I'd been really enjoying this season i think that it's clear to me that strike back has the best action sequences on tv like hands down i i haven't seen banshee yet which i which i hear is a lot of fun but although I also understand that's more like a hand-to-hand combat thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like you're doing two different types of action, both effective in their way. But yeah, Strike Back in terms of large-scale action is definitely yeah, the Yeah. My only issue with the action on Strike Back is it does definitely fall victim uh, at, at times to the 
these people are excellent shots and everyone they're killing are terrible shots, but it does a better job at that than most things do. So I'm willing to give it a pass. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 I had some issues with the, with the finale, but up until then, I've been very impressed and entertained with, uh, with Strike Back. Yes, we talked very briefly about this, uh, before we started recording, um, Simon, because you said that you hadn't enjoyed this finale. And I think that's really interesting. I would like to dive really into some of those reasons besides just the, that last final couple of minutes, because I really enjoyed the finale. I thought it was great. I, I was watching this. I was out of town this weekend, so I was watching it you know, later over the course of the weekend on, on the DVR, and um, I was just had this silly grin on my face the whole way through, because it's just a crazy, ridiculous, so much fun show. And it's something, I we go back to this uh, idea you know, over the course of the year, we've, we've gone back to this idea over the course of the year a few times, but it's just an entertaining show in the way that most of the, the especially the anti-hero kind of dramas that we're seeing right now don't care to be. And with uh, with a show like Sleepy Hollow really gaining purchase, this uh, th- th- this fall and finding an audience, I, I think there are a lot of viewers out there who, if they gave Strike Back a chance, would really enjoy it because it just goes crazy with with this action and with the uh you know with with some of the character developments and 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 i think when we're talking about this finale we we, and the season in general we're gonna have to talk about kamali we're gonna have to talk about some of these performances but i'd I'd like to first dive into what i know is one of your problems with this finale and (laughs) that is that is the 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 depiction of of torture because i want to know if 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 they had actually not succeeded in in bringing somebody back alive as they've hilariously failed all season uh if if they had gotten that information that they they that they were able to successfully get by torturing somebody which at least if i don't believe actually happens i don't think there's uh evidence to to prove that that is something that is truthful to life um, but if if that element hadn't been added to this finale would it have affected your appreciation of it, Simon. I think I would have still been disappointed by the tone of the ending, the very ending. And I think also I haven't mentioned this yet, but um, I wasn't all that impressed with Kamali after he'd been revealed as a villain. It, he felt it, it really one note to me, uh, which was also somewhat of a disappointment. Uh, I, I did like, obviously, the early car chase sequence was great, even though if you're Kamali, I don't see any reason you put them in a van not completely incapacitated because you know exactly what they can do but anyway that's neither here nor there (laughs) um but yeah the the torture thing i mean i just really thought we were done with this whole canard of but it's a ticking time bomb we have to do it because it's the only way and then actually skipping the torture bit because that's not nice to watch uh i don't know it's just everything about that whole sequence just rubbed me the wrong way i just i was really hoping we were done with that sort of thing and i think too like i know that in my review that it was the thing like your brain has to skip over it as you're thinking about the rest of the episode because it's the one thing that's inherently political it's like everything they're doing with kamali and terrorism is very much this sort of large-scale broad sort of you know there's not a lot going on there and like Bring, I agree with Kamali's character kind of gets swallowed up in that to a degree in the finale, but like I get why they're using that sort of broad iconography of terrorism in which they're setting up these conflicts. But when they use that with the question of torture, 
it was sort of a different dynamic of, wait, well, you can't just skip over that. You can't skip over the politics of what they're doing and how they're doing it. And for them to just come back from that. And he gave them such like, you know, specific information. He wasn't allowed to talk for himself. He was literally just like, oh, we need to show this happened so we can get the exposition necessary to move the story forward. And that's where it's sort of like on the one hand, I don't think they're making an argument like or glorifying torture in any way, but they're also accepting torture very matter of factly in a way that I think the show that's the show so rarely delves into politics that this is a case where they just chose not to. They chose I don't think they have a perspective or a point or an opinion. I think they're just like, Oh, this is a thing that happens, let's put it in our story, which seems like a different level of sort of disregard for the issues at stake. And I absolutely see uh, where you guys are coming from, and I would agree that I think they should have had that information come to them in a different way because if they're going to take on torture as as an issue, the way that they've sort of examined some other things this season, or, or not even just as a political issue, but just as a plot point, as something that they're going to deal with, especially in a season that's focused so heavily on these characters deciding if they want to stay in this life, I think that could have been really interesting, and instead they just sort of you know in and out in two minutes i don't think this finale was the place for them to do that there wasn't the time and so they should have just not gone there but if they were going to like they did here i don't need to see another scene of of somebody being tortured and the we're supposed we know the torturers and they don't want to do this but they're gonna do it because they have to i mean i've seen that scene so many times i was glad when they just cut and then they just fast forward. They did that scene in like two lines of dialogue. And is that just me? I, I feel like I've seen that scene so many times. And maybe it's because I don't believe that's how torture works. And so to see it depicted that way is really uh, fr- annoying to me. So maybe, so I, I preferred them just skipping ahead. Um, I don't know. I would have preferred they didn't do it at all. Well, but, of course. Uh, but, on a, but on another level, I kind of feel like if you're going to do it, and you're going to be so unashamedly depicting it working. I think it's kind of a cop out to not show it. And um, that, and 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 actually, that it sort of felt like they were having their cake and eating it too in that sense. Um, and I also want to mention that it's because of this, the inclusion of that scene, that I have an extra problem with how unashamedly happy the ending is because they've done a great job all season of, of showing these guys having doubts while they're doing their work. And you know, at times when they still had wins. Um, because, you know, because they're focused on the collateral damage and the characters who can die at any time, which is one of the best things about the show, you know, the, anyone is fair game with two very obvious exceptions. Um, but I, I don't know that the, the ending really felt kind of psychologically disingenuous to a lot of what we've seen this season, which was disappointing because I, I really, really love the way the show folds these little bits of maybe not realism, but just a, a little bit of depth when you're not expecting it. And that's what I was missing from this finale. And I guess I'm wondering if that's one of the consequences of not having seen the previous seasons. Because, like, I fully expected them to not pay off most of that. Which, I mean, okay. seems like it would be, like, this kind of breaking point with the show. And I know where you're coming from. But, like, every season is usually, like, had, like, an ongoing, like, doubt or storyline or sort of conflict that more or less then gets thrown away at the end of the season. Like, that's pretty much what's happened every time, and I think I've been conditioned to sort of accept certain levels of that. I think this crossed that. I think this is the worst it's been in terms of, like, turning on that at the end, 
But I do think that there's certain expectations that come with having seen previous seasons of knowing what their pattern is that both of you didn't really have the benefit of in this case. And I think I saw a lot of people who were disappointed by that. And I just sort of had to admit to them in the comments, it's like, look, I totally see where you're coming from. I get where you're at. I think I'd resolved that so long ago with the show that my I wasn't inherently disappointed so much as I was specifically disappointed in the way it played out. Well, and that's interesting because for me, when the, this is exactly the sort of finale I expected with that obvious exception of they totally got me with Kamali. <laughs> we talked about it last week on the podcast when we were talking about the, oh, yeah, the previous that was episode. So good. They absolutely got me with Kamali. That was I, I really enjoyed that turn. But tonally, like the way at the ending of this episode is I don't know uh, exactly, I guess, I didn't what you or other people who are disappointed with, I mean, with as opposed to just it would be nice. But when I approach this episode in this finale as what I've based on what I've seen over the course of the season, this is exactly what I was expecting. They're not going to leave because this is a TV show and they're our main characters. And so, therefore, something's going to happen such that they're going to decide not to leave and um, and it's going to be a win because if it was a loss, they probably would leave. Uh, and, and so I don't know, I guess this tonally and this was exactly, I guess, what I was expecting. So maybe that is part of my different approach to this finale as well. Fair enough. Which is, which is exactly that's fine. I mean, I think it's a show that I can see a lot of people watching for different reasons. I think there's things here that can kind of connect to and attach to. It's a show I'm. I'm sure some people might not watch every episode. They might binge it later. Like, there's a, I think it's a show that leaves itself open to a lot of interpretation and different engagement, which I think makes is part of what makes it successful, part of what makes it interesting, part of what makes it exciting. But I think it also limits itself by not necessarily making a, like a big concentrated point in the finale and by just sort of having things dissolve a little bit. Well, and I do appreciate that. You know, I, I feel like this is this has been the year when. Uh, well, I, 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 I don't want I don't want to define the year this way because I think the way people try to put both on things is too neat sometimes. But I do what I've really appreciated about this year in TV is I feel like the definition of what great TV is has been diversifying a lot. It's not just the you know HBO mode of of, of great TV. You know we're getting all kinds of different things and and the emergence of really great genre TV over the last few years has been interesting to watch. And I, I feel like the, the way that strike back tells stories is, is so valuable in, in the sense that, you know, there's no other show that I can think of that will bring in a villain and then you know, they'll have just these mini arcs with them, just two or three episodes. Like uh, I, I love the Dugray Scott character and everything he got to do. And then that's over and it's, and it's over and we move on to something else. And it's sort of like, it's more like a series of mini films that happen to be, you know, vaguely connected in this sort of like um, earlier in the season, I compared it to like a like a video game. Like you get to the mini boss and then there is a mini boss and then we get the end boss at the end. And I, don't, I don't know if that's generally how seasons of Strike Back work, but I, th- there's, is. there you go. And there's there's value in that. I, 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 I'm glad that they they have a, 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 a sort of action storytelling mode that's very much their own. Well, no, and I think it's, too, the idea that this is specific to the show at one point, but it's also on Cinemax, and it's also against the expectations of what you'd expect. Like, in writing about it for the AV Club, it's been, like, I tend to take things somewhat seriously, and I think some people are like, this is a silly show on a lot of levels. And I'm like, well, yes, but it's doing these things in interesting ways from a structural perspective, from a character perspective, where it's not 
delivering this traditionally, you know, deep, complex story, but the way it's structured is nonetheless structured very deliberately. Its character development is kind of doled out very specifically. There's a lot of care taken in terms of what it does, even if what it does does not normally have the idea of, like, taking care associated with it. Like, we don't think about big, bombastic action shows as being subtle and nuanced, and they might not look at with Strike Back, but to get where Strike Back is from an action perspective requires them to do a lot of subtle, nuanced things that I think we don't normally give credit for. And I think you're right. We're more open to giving credit for it. We're more open to thinking about procedurals in this light. We're more open to thinking about shows like Strike Back in that light. And I think it's important for us to do that. And I think Strike Back is sort of a nice linchpin of are we if we're going to take the Cinemax original series like seriously – that's that's a good step forward for us, I feel. Well, and if we're talking about things that the season has done well or that the show does that maybe other shows don't do, I got we got to talk about Kamali. We got we got it. There's a couple things characters that for me we have to talk about. Dalton is one. Um, that moment with Rebecca at the beginning of the season, her death is one, and a big one is is Kamali. And when was for you guys? I'm genuinely curious. When was the last time? And maybe. Maybe, Miles, you weren't surprised by this. Maybe you saw the, the turn with Kamali coming, but I didn't. And I cannot remember the last time a show, particularly a show in this ilk, surprised me with a character turn like that. I thought they handled it so well. I thought the performance was excellent, and uh, it was incredibly satisfying, especially towards the end of uh, the, this season when we start to, started to really get a handle on... Oh, he's definitely a good guy. Oh my God, he's not. Um, when seriously for you guys, when was the last time there was a character turn as effective? It's been a long time. I mean, I I liked the reveal in Unjustified, but it wasn't a surprise. Uh, like they, it was pretty clearly foreshadowed several episodes in advance, at least. So yeah, I'm having yeah. Generally, when a series pivots on a twist like that, it's usually it's usually a cop-out in one way or another, and I thought this was really... I mean, we were so hoodwinked by it that the previous episode, before the reveal, we were complaining about aspects of that performance because it seemed like they'd landed on good guy. I was like, oh, well, if he's a good guy, then this doesn't make sense. And then we were totally... Like, it was <laughs> it was that good, like that we sounded like idiots, and you know, we'd been made to sound like idiots by this supposedly dumb action show, and that was one of the most satisfying moments of TV watching for me this year. I love when that happens. It, yeah, it's great. great. What I will say is this. Um, I mean, I think you go back to like 24 season five is one that I think sort of played itself out um, in somewhat similar fashion. Um, but 24 could never sustain a plot twist to save its life. So um, that was never going to work. And I say that in part um, in kindness to the show because that was often one of its charms. But I think with Kamali, for me, I didn't see it as a surprise because I think he switched allegiances so many times. And the show was sort of so consistent with pointing out, is he a good guy or a bad guy? And they played that card, I think, about two or three too many times for me to entirely buy the good guy routine. But I'll admit, like, I was, if I had been podcasting after episode eight when he died, I totally would have talked in those terms. Like, I accepted it when he, when he supposedly died, when that all happened. During episode nine, Watching it, I started to get suspicious. I started to sense the way they were talking about it, the way things were set up, the absence of any clear conflict, the absence of a clear villain. I think I sort of like started filling the gap in my head and thinking, how could they do this? And around that point, it's like, 
well, we didn't actually see him dead. We just saw him, quote unquote, die. And then I started reading into what was happening. And so when he turned up at the end, like, I got the smile on my face. I enjoyed the twist. I think it was in the show's best interest. I liked it. But I definitely have been primed, perhaps just by think- thinking too analytically of having to write a review after this and taking notes and going through that process. My mind was in kind of the place where I'm like, you know what? He's probably still alive. And uh, that shows just the difference that writing a review every week makes on your viewing of a show. Yep. And probably if either of us had been sitting down to write reviews each week, we we probably would have been where you were with that, Miles. But uh, one of the big other successes with this character, as far as I'm concerned, is Esther. Because when I look at this, this year in TV, there are a few kids that really stand out to me. And one of the big ones is Tui from Top of the Lake. One of the... The big failures is for me is Danny and a lot of the stuff on the killing. But Esther is one of the the kids that I'm going to remember at the end of the year. I thought they did a great job with that character. Very believable relationship with her and her father, but also with uh, with Stumbridge and Scott. And uh, and and just such a really strong performance from from that actress, but also just a really intelligent use of the character as well. Yeah, I mean, like I think what I would say for Esther is. She benefits from a limited amount of screen time. Mm-hmm. Up until the point of this final episode, she was never thrown in the conflict. In, in like she was involved in conflict certainly, but they didn't string it out. They never looked at her character as someone who could be sustained on her own. In part because I don't think Strike Back could ever really handle that in terms of the way it's written and the way its action is structured. But it meant that she was always sort of this player in the game. But it was a player the game took seriously. They developed real relationships. The emotional stuff landed. You felt a connection to the character and her situation. And she represented a lot of the collateral damage the season was dealing with um, thematically in productive ways. But then the performance, I think, elevated. So she didn't just seem like this prop they could bring out to represent a particular idea. And so I think she was well handled in that regard. I think she was also well handled in the fact that they didn't handle her that often. They didn't try to do too much with the character. They didn't rely on the character too heavily. They have plenty of other options to tell their stories. I think they used her sparingly and effectively as a result. And you could compare something. Uh, obviously, it's a very different kind of role, but something like uh, the way Homeland has been using the Brody children or not in Chris's case, uh, yep. is, is a, a good contrast for me. This is how you should do it. That is not how you should do it. And yet at the same time, I, I understand what you're saying, and this is the Dana Defender in me uh, coming to the surface. But I also think like Homeland is trying to tell a story about a teenage character. And That's what I would true. say is Strike Back never tries to do that. And what we were getting at to some degree is the difficulty of doing so within a show that's not explicitly about teenagers and the problems you have with that. We could make, I'm not necessarily, I think that what Homeland's doing with Dana is perfectly valid and perfectly interesting, but I think it's also far more challenging and the degree of difficulty with Esther is lower, but which makes it more effective for this show and the story it's telling. And one could argue maybe would make Homeland more effective as well. Now, I I wanted to talk about Rebecca. Are there any other elements of the season that you guys wanted to specifically talk about? Quickly, to weigh in on the Esther thing, I agree with almost everything both of you said. I could have, again, gone for a little bit more um, sort of dealing with the fallout with her in the finale. Yes. Because uh, it, I, I didn't mind that she wasn't actually super important to the to the climax, which I think would have been annoying. But uh, I could have dealt with more of her post 
uh, Kamali's actual death, uh, sort of, and seeing where she was with that, considering that would have been a nice way to pay off the themes. But, you know, Top Gun sex is cool, too. <laughs> and just sort of, I guess, to sort of pick up on that, though, I'm wondering, because you bring up Rebecca and you bring up sort of dynamic, and, like, you didn't know who Rebecca was. And yet I was hugely impacted by her death. Which is fascinating to me. Explain. I just thought the way that they filmed it, the way it was written, the performance, maybe it's because it's the first major character death of the season. I didn't feel like this was the kind of show where people were actually going to die because usually everybody just happens to, like we talked about earlier, uh, all of our heroes are perfect shots and all the bad guys roll uh, roll a natural one on their uh to hit so you know I, I didn't realize this was a show where they were going to actually kill main characters and and so the i the relationship between her and and uh and scott was effective and just that that scene of her giving last rites to herself was hugely effective as far as i was concerned and um and it was effective in a way that i think dalton's death was supposed to be but because i hadn't seen the other seasons i felt like i was missing out and connecting with with that character, and yet I we only had like an episode with Rebecca, and I still really was affected by that death. I think I'm wondering to some degree if that's sort of, I certainly want Simon to weigh in as well. But I think what's fascinating to me about the question of Rebecca is like there's something very pure about that way that was sold. It's like they have a connection, they have a past. It's complicated. She dies. It's very emotional, very played out. Whereas like there's a lot of character assassination happening with Dalton this season. Um, mm-hmm. Like, she goes off the rails, she gets a little bit crazy, even if she's eventually vindicated by the fact that she was sort of right. Ultimately, she kind of went off, you know, on the deep end. She basically went crazy. And it's sort of like a lot of that was a very quick way to sort of write Rona Mitra out. Clearly, she has a TNT show coming up. She wasn't able to commit to the entire season. It was clear that they wanted to bring her back to resolve the arc. I think they did that somewhat effectively. Her death still had meaning in the context of the story, but they definitely were selling that character out to a degree where I think you would have been more affected by that just by knowing you, the character a bit better. But I think you also would have found that characterization more problematic if you had seen how Dalton had been characterized last season. Nothing and everything. Exactly. <laughs> there was definitely a, an affinity for that character uh, when I was at Comic-Con at the Strike Back panel. There was a lot of love expressed for, for, for that character. And so when when she died, I, I had that in the back of my mind. Like, there's a lot of Strike Back fans who are really pissed off right now. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'm not surprised to, to hear that. Uh, Simon, what did you I think? I mean, I, I think that, again, not having seen previous seasons, I missed out on her not previously being crazy. But um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think that I, I don't want to harp on the finale again, but I, I liked that we had a character who, in the midst of all this insanity, was going a little bit insane and actually responding to things around them in a way a human theoretically might. Um, you know, again, I don't want to discuss real human behavior in the context of Strike Back because it's odd, but... Um, <laughs> but but it, uh, it invites us to do that. Like, I think the yeah. show throughout this season invited us to ask those questions. And so I think you're right that for them to not really answer them is a betrayal of some of what they've done, even if it's the same betrayal they've consistently done each season. Right. Which again, I wouldn't know about. So yeah, it's, I'm, and, and I, I really don't want to harp on the negative because I do enjoy strike back a lot. And I think that, you know, we're spotlighting it and it's a show that I think more, actually way more people should be watching. Interesting. Well, do we have any final thoughts about the season or any other issues that we need to talk about, uh, Miles? 
Um, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I think it's just for me a matter of, I think you're right, that the question of expectations and what you're going through and sort of that idea of like, I am curious to see how people respond to Strike Back Origins, which is the original six episode UK series, which is on the one hand, yes, a part of the story we haven't seen, but Cinemax, when they came in as a co-producing partner, so took over this show and its vision in planting new characters and planting new aesthetics and planting the softcore scenes that when you consider all of that, this really isn't the same show. It's Cinemax trying to make a little bit of extra bank and using this as a way to kind of build the show's brand. So I'm very interested to see if people like you who haven't seen the entire show like step in on that, what that experience is going to be like and how that dissonance works, which would be an interesting experiment. Definitely. Uh, Simon, any final thoughts? Uh, the show really makes me want to exercise more. <laughs> That's good, right? That's well, it's good and bad because I know I won't. <laughs> Fair enough. And I, I do want to mention again just how insane and amazing the action sequences are on this show. I can't believe we talked for a solid fifteen or twenty minutes about that finale and didn't talk about the plane and the and the, the three cars and going up and then coming back down and then. Oh my god, this show looks amazing. <laughs> well, and actually, it Strike Back is the principal reason that I can't take Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. seriously. Uh, because, it, I mean, and obviously way, way more people are watching that, but just that show and so many other TV action series just look so cheap and poorly choreographed and poorly executed compared to Strike Back. And I, I really feel like... You know, this is a show that's doing it right, where so many other shows are doing it so very wrong. Well, and you know they don't have that big a budget. Yeah. And yet, they part, make this work. Part of me wonders if there's, like, some sort of, like, massive difference in, like, labor laws in South Africa versus yeah. the U.S. that somehow allow them to pull off things that they would never be allowed to do in Los Angeles. I don't know if that's the case. But, like, sometimes I have that question of, like, why is there this huge gap? And I think it's just in part because they have a bit more freedom it's their focus they're not worried about other things they don't have to worry so much about contracts and my guess is they probably don't have to worry about unions the same way um but there's definitely some things happening uh there that's different and i think the distinctiveness goes to the show's favor and you're right that it does sort of spoil all of their action as a result of that i will say they did adopt the fast and furious six runway which is that no runway would ever be that long, ever. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like I don't, I, I didn't, I don't know if anyone actually did the math of timing it compared to the Fast and Furious six sequence, which you haven't seen, is also an enormously too long runway. But like, you definitely, they're playing with that. But the thing about Strike Back is like they clearly never cared, mm-hmm. and the idea that they're pulling out that sort of like fun action environment and TV where you don't normally expect to see it remains, I think, an accomplishment. And you're right. I think more people should be watching this show. And I think people just don't know they should be. Like, I really don't think it's that the show itself is turning them off. I think they either don't know it exists or see Cinemax, think Cinemax, and just sort of undercut it as a result. But there's a lot happening here. It's never going to entirely pay off in the way that your brain might want it to, but it's always going to be fun. And that seems like a good thing for a TV show to be. Two more points. One, I think we should get another runway sequence next season where the runway is going to end and it's a serious problem. <laughs> uh, that would be excellent. Two, I, I want to express some admiration for the show's use of impact font subtitles, <laughs> which really adds something. Do they add impact, perhaps? Maybe. It's a really fun show, and there aren't enough of those, as far as I'm concerned. Just being fun and entertaining while still having 
at least some level of character depth and uh, reality. It should be something that more shows strive for. And then I guess the final thing, that was going to be my final thought, but then I remembered we haven't mentioned the actors, the leads. They are really, <laughs> they clearly one of the big things that make, I think lets them do what they do on Strike Back is the fact that they've been doing this for a while and they do a lot of it. And so I do think that those, those central performances, uh, not just from, from Philip Winchester and Sullivan Stapleton, but, but from, you know, that whole central core really centers the show and and just the physicality uh of of these characters goes such a a long way in really selling the believability of these men as soldiers and uh, as very scary people you don't want to piss off in an alley uh, I, I just like the 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 feel of these characters is so important and the show would not work if, if Winchester and Stapleton did not work uh, so in, in their in their lead roles, so I wanted to mention that as well. And I like the music in general. I always mention the music. I like the music. Um, so thank you for for coming on, Miles, to talk with us about Strike Back. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, too many places, but um, you can find me at Twitter at Twitter uh, at at M E M L E S. You can find me at Cultural Learnings at cultural learnings dot com. Then you can find my writing about Strike Back, Awkward, Orange Is the New Black, Elementary, and various other things at the AV Club. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Miles. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.